Dorkness to Light, hosted by Alan and M. Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 30, Tambor, the Minisode. Welcome to Episode 30 of Dorkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, and spirituality. And this time, we're talking about a musician who we've mentioned before, but haven't talked about in depth. And this is the time to do that, because she was recently awarded with an amazing international honor that we will mention later in the show. We are talking about the harpist and vocalist Tambor Kerpke, who records under her first name, which is spelled T-I-M-B-R-E. Not to be confused with, I think, either Tambor Tambor mm, or right. Tambor Timber, some, something of that <laughs> variety. Just T-I-M-B-R-E. She does classical harp music and also pop music on her harp. And if you've ever heard a hard rock or a metal song with a harp on it, odds are pretty good that that was played by Tambor. She's been a working professional, like, at-call musician for years now, probably going on a decade. And what's awesome is that that is so often a thing for guitarists, bassists, things like that. But she has managed to make a career as a working on-call musician with a harp. (laughs) If you watched the TV show Nashville, soap opera type of show taking place in the Nashville music scene, I don't believe her music ever appeared, but she was on in backgrounds a couple of times with the big harp there. Yeah, she's very noticeable. She has brilliant white... Mm. I would say last unicorn-esque hair and a harp that's about six and a half feet tall. (laughs) So a little background about her and then our history with her. Tambor Kerpke is one of four children of a music professor and choral director whose children all have music-related names, all starting with the letter T. So her siblings are tenor, treble, and tetra. Make your own judgments about professors. Anyway, I don't think we need to dwell on that part. Well, here's the the real question. Do you think that that's due to the PhD in music theory? Or being a professional musician? Like, who do you want to dump on in that particular particular equation? (laughs) Working musician is less likely to be absent-minded, but then the professor is probably more likely to be a little quirky? Yes, that is, that is a word for it. Now, we attended the Cornerstone Music Festival in 2010, and Tambor performed there, but to the best of our recollections and knowledge, we did not see her because we hadn't heard of her yet. And honestly, if you just see something called 
timbre, you're like, okay. Especially at true cornerstone. Right. At OG cornerstone. If it's a little side thing, and you're like, okay, this is probably some weird sort of like stomp thing, which I'm sure would be very good. But it'd be like some sort of all percussion, like alt punk like kind knows, of thing. Yeah, like literally, who knows what it could, could be. be? Anything. Now, for us, that 2010 festival, our first as a family, that was about music discovering. But again, a lot of that was the hard rocking stuff that we were discovering right at that point. And then, thanks to you, never forget it. <laughs> never forget it. We attended. The last Cornerstone, Cornerstone 2012. It was much smaller, and for that one, our discovery of musicians was focused on the alt-folkies and the oddballs. Which, which we say completely with love. These are our people. We have interviewed <laughs> some of them. But Destroy Night Allen, Mara and the Mainsail, Insomniac Folklore. I'm pretty sure that this was also must-build jacuzzi. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Timbre. This was, I think, both the best and deeply strangest way to discover Timbre because you don't usually expect to find classical music. And as we said, mm-hmm. like, classical music from a classically trained musician in a family with a history of professional opera singers and music theorists and things like that. In a cornfield in the middle of Illinois. (laughs) But especially not when it is 109 degrees. And it is, in fact, so hot that she must stop in between every song to retune the heart. Because the combination of perspiration and humidity in the tent was actually causing all of her strings to go slack. Now, I talked about my practice of investigating the bands beforehand. So we had a few of her songs on our compilation Get get to Know the Artists list. We knew it was classical harp music, but it was so compelling, and she just seemed so cool that it got on our list. Her music is described as a mix of traditional classical mm-hmm. orchestral music, but also modern symphonics, along with pop and folk. So for example, she has an incredible cover of Radiohead's Spinning Plates mm-hmm. on harp, which is absolutely entrancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was getting over here in 2012 with a deep illness and I was on the upswing, not totally at full strength. Again, we are not making this up. It was about 107, 108 degrees. And we were in a tent. <laughs> yeah, we were we were in shade. And I remember feeling not so great at this point, and this was the last day of the fest, and late afternoon, and I just remember laying down on a blanket or a mat or whatever we had there on the grass, in the tent, eyes closed, and letting that music wash over me. And it was such a weird, and the only word, transcendent, moment. That series of shows, I remember it was Lauren Mann and the Fairly Odd Folk which is an odd bunch of folkies. And then timbre. And for me, that was the sort of the perfect cornerstone way to end to completely mismatched <laughs> musical styles. But absolutely. Played at absolutely. a high level. 
with much integrity and, and skill and, the and most, love. And the most compelling stagecraft it and was, showmanship. Yes. Understated perfection. It was late afternoon, and I said, okay, I am done with Cornerstone. It's not going to top this for me in terms of the weirdness, the etherealness, the uh, I'm not feeling all that great, and you have to drive home tomorrow. So I think, I remember I went back to the hotel, and then you and Mom went back for the Viking funeral, which we have talked about before. I'm glad that we have managed at every one of our Cornerstone and audio fee attendances to Mm -hmm. have one truly bizarrely transcendent mm-hmm. esoteric memorable moment, moment yeah um, because the first one was Iona playing at 130 <sighs> in the morning in a field man. walking off into the distance you can hear it echoing up into the trees just incredible and it is telling that two of them came from Tambor that's true because mm-hmm. not only mm-hmm. in 2012 but when we went back to audio feed in 2016 she had taken the late night slot. Yep. And we got to sit in a barn. With air conditioning. Oh, which let me just say, greatly improved the enjoyment of the music by it being, in this case, about 71 degrees instead of 106 at the dead of night, like mm. 1230 in the morning. And it had been so hot during the day and so cold that night that all of the the humidity was settling mm. and it was misting up from underneath <laughs> the sides of this mostly yes. enclosed barn up around the lights onto the stage around her with the harp with it reverberating with spotlight from the back and oh. i try not to throw around things like ethereal and fey like and all these th- but you nope. you felt like you were falling into a fairy tale like, okay, like Oberon and Titania are around here somewhere because I am clearly no longer experiencing the normal mortal plane in this moment. The first time we saw her play, we bought that first CD, Little Flowers, and we got you a t-shirt. Oh, and this is like the coolest t-shirt. It's all Tans like, and browns, but... It's vaguely steampunk. Right. But very, again, just like very sort of like cutesy fairy tale kind of steampunk. There's like a, like an anthropomorphic cat and like a little girl pirate with like a big tricorn hat riding in an, in an airship. And one of her other shirts at the time was uh, very much looked like the last unicorn. There was this sort of purple mm-hmm. and white unicorn mm-hmm. on a, at a campfire or something. Just very like sweet and also compelling ethereal imagery. The music is great. Her merch is also <laughs> great. And we've actually had the chance to see her play twice in non-festival settings as well. From what we could piece together of our recollections, was a friend of ours named Rachel invited either you or mom or both. Possibly both. I can't I, remember if Rachel, if you knew Rachel through youth group, see, I know her I mom's, either maybe she knew mom at the mom church. There was some the combination, church. right. And I think she mentioned it offhand to mom, like, oh yeah, I'm going to this weird artsy concert. Like, of course you wouldn't be interested, but you know, it's this cool thing. It's a house show by campus, which if people don't live in Columbus means OSU. State. It's not really your thing, but it's going to be really cool. She's, you know, coming in from Nashville. And mom was like, oh, okay, well, who is it? Oh, it's Tambor Kirpke. My mom was like, hey. Eyes go wide. I know Tambor. 
We're that, coming. And my M would love to go. So uh, we're going to go. And I got to sit on the floor about two and a half right. feet away from the harp while she played <laughs> Radiohead songs. That was also a transformative <laughs> moment. Probably my favorite of the, of the overall uh, concert events was the Christmas show. Mm-hmm. The acoustic Christmas show, I think it was 2013. Because there were other acts that we knew from our church. Marco and Sarah Castro. The coolest people. Period. And Heather Evans, who are still both pursuing music as careers. Mm -hmm. And they played their music and their carols, and then Tambor headlined that show. It it was amazing. Yeah. And I remember taking a picture of you, Tambor, and Tetra was there. Yes. And you were wearing the aforementioned t-shirt. I was, and Tetra was accompanying on Tiny Piano. Yes. (laughs) Which... (laughs) Any band that includes Tiny Piano, I'm pretty much always, always a fan of. And we bought the Christmas album, Silent Night, which again is similarly excellent work. And I always like to recommend this because not only is it very good covers of your traditional Christmas carols, there is an original Christmas carol on there. Mm -hmm. And original Christmas carols are so hard Mm. to like really nail that sort of whimsy and allegory and timelessness without it sounding really cheesy. But it is a a retelling. I believe it's a Romanian Mm. fairy tale. But yes, Saint Saint Legend, Mm. Mm -hmm. traditional Christmas folk mythology about immediately after the birth of Christ. Mm. And how the Robin Redbreast got its breast. And it is, one, just a great folk and fairy tale song. But it is a really good Christmas carol. (laughs) And it's beautiful, obviously. Uh, And I have had that added to my my Christmas rotation for years now. (laughs) And it may have been at that Christmas show, or it may have been at Audio Feed 2014. But at some point, she talked about an upcoming crowdfunding campaign. With her goal of releasing a double album based on... Are you listening, Chris Willett? George MacDonald's 1882 fairy tale, Day Boy and Night Girl. We've talked about the ethereal fae elements. Her musical career was leading up to this point. I am so excited to see what comes next. But this Mm. is a culmination of, of everything that she does and embodies and and incorporates into her music at the most basic the story is one of opposites attracting or to be a little bit more deep and metaphysical about relying on each other's strengths and perspectives in order to overcome our fears and our weaknesses and to grow as people by finding wholeness Mm -hmm. in relationship and companionship and community and togetherness it is beautiful it the the fairy tale itself is a love story and mm-hmm. every single track on that album is a love song of some variety yeah, right the way Tambor describes the two albums again it's called sun and moon so sun is music written and performed by the whole band a little more on that pop side while moon is really a straight classical music Mm -hmm. symphonic composition and so of course we were going to be yes obviously 
And this was one in a crowdfunding situation where you have to be patient. She was very communicative, and we knew this. This was a major endeavor. And fortunately, the way it was explained, we knew it was going to be good, and we knew it was going to take a while. And it probably took 18 months or so. Oh, yeah, at, at least. At least to get the, the music written, composed, her parts performed, all of the guest musicians, etc., etc., the production values, the engineering. Because that is the key, is this is what you can do when you are a professional working musician, not just making your own things and releasing them, which is admirable, but being connected in the music scene in Nashville is that she pretty much knew someone mm -hmm. who knew someone who knew someone right. everywhere. So she collaborated with the, the local symphony in right. Nashville for several of the songs. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, there was some question of scheduling because they were either doing it at a reduced rate mm -hmm. or some of the performers may have been performing for free. Mm -hmm. And that is just a tremendous album. You've introduced it to your roommate mm -hmm. who absolutely adores it. In her words, in two hours, you will experience the complete range of human emotions. <laughs> and I say this to... Anyone else who has an 84-year-old parent, Tambor, passes the, I can listen to this in the car with my dad, test. It, it passes the NPR <laughs> octogenarian. <laughs> if, we're, if we're not listening to Tambor, we're listening literally to the 1940s XM Sirius station, and this passes inspection. <laughs> In 2018, she was not able to perform at Audio Feed, unfortunately, because she was having some pretty serious mm -hmm. health issues. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, in the last six to eight months, That's... she's definitely been feeling yeah. significantly better and was able to attend in 2019. But we didn't. So hopefully 2020, boom, we can return again. But really the reason that we're doing this, and let's keep it, mini this this mini sewed this artist spotlight <laughs> is because of a tweet that appeared on her timeline on july 12th 2019 excited to share that my album sun and moon has been chosen by the unesco crossings institute the cultural branch of the united nations as one of the most important albums of the decade that is stunning and True. This is a pretty obscure performer, at least in our world, and somehow this music has gotten out and gotten noticed and become recognized for its cultural, not just quality, importance. Significance. And I just want to point out, one of the other things that's on this list from the Crossings Institute in the most important songs category, is Black Star by David Bowie. So, like, this is the level that we're talking about here. This isn't just, you know, in this one particular corner of classical music. Like, she is, she is in a certain way being, being measured against, not competing, but, like, coexisting on this list with incredibly prolific, successful, well-known artists who have made music that has reached and impacted millions and timbre is in that same category now 
and so well deserved. So as we thought about that honor, that immense international honor that she recently received, we thought we would take this opportunity to celebrate this accomplishment as well as share some of her music with you. So we will be closing the last 10 minutes or so of this episode with some clips from our favorite songs from each of the two halves. So we're going to start off with Sun. And for me, my favorite song on that disc is Song of the Sun. And for you, we'll be playing a segment of The Persistence of First Love. I like Song of the Sun because to me it's one of the most poppy, catchy of the songs. And again, this is on the more modern pop of the discs. And not all of her songs have vocals, but this one does. And so I thought it it represented really well that side of her. And for you? Persistence of First Love is the first song of hers that made me cry uncontrollably. Was that on an album or was that Oh no, that was the live. Yeah, that was the live. I thought so. To be fair, there was mist. It was like twelve forty five. I was in a very long day, I'm just saying. (laughs) And it is also beautiful. Beautiful and sweet and tragic and perfect in a way that I think few other love songs are. I mentioned that every song is in essence a love song, some of them being one-sided, some of them being mutual, some of them being more friends and community and companionship, Mm -hmm. and some of them being explicitly romantic. This is in my mind the most explicitly romantic of the songs, and it is a song that does not shy away from the darkness and difficulty that one goes through in relationships. And in this one, the persistence of first love encapsulates the the strength and the power that can be found in holding to one another mm-hmm. in those times. Mm-hmm. And then from Moon, the more classically classical of the two discs, my choice is Sanctus. And then mine is Photogen Sees the Moon. Which is the last song on the album? Yes. Uh, And it is part of a duo. This Uh is the actual last song. At the end of Sun, there is the song Nick Terrace Sees the Sun, which is the end of the Night Girl story. And then this would be the end of the Day Boy story Uh for the second half. And what I liked about Sanctus is it's to me, the most churchy of the songs. I mean, partly because, you know, sanctus, holy, that's a a common phrase in Latin mass. Mm -hmm. And it's very Gregorian. Yes, it it has that feel to it. So I sort of just, I I just liked that vibe, the church music side of, of classical music. And then in my mind, Photogen Sees the Moon is basically the perfect way Mm. to end the album. The Night Girl song, Nick Terrace, is very sweeping, but very intense. And there's there's some pretty serious, um, very sharp notes that are played in that song. But Photogen Sees the Moon really does express that sort of softness that you sort of associate with the, the moon as like mm-hmm. a symbol. Mm-hmm. 
I like the two of them as a pair yeah. because there is something so interesting about the sun being this kind of like very violent, scary thing, whereas the moon is much more soft and welcoming. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very sweet but very powerful instrumentation to end mm-hmm. the album on. So, enjoy. We love you all for listening. We know that this show occupies a very small niche in a very small niche, and we value each and every one of you. All are welcome. And until next time, may the Force be with you. And also with you.
While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. And DarknessToLight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at darknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Search iTunes to purchase their music. Thanks for listening.